0: Welcome to episode 110 of the Lynch Blue Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, welcome to summer 2021. It's great, isn't it? Isn't it nice having warm weather no matter where you're at in America? Most of you have warmed up a little bit and are getting ready, I know, for a great summer. So it means a ton that you took time to tune in today for this episode. I promise you this, you're going to be glad that you did. You know, when I think about leadership, part of being a leader is overcoming obstacles, overcoming tough times, overcoming discouragement, overcoming things that get thrown your way that you didn't see coming. Being an overcomer is just part of being a leader. Today, we get to sit down with a gentleman who is the epitome of an overcomer. He is a a guy that has faced obstacles you and I cannot even imagine, yet today finds himself an author a speaker who is in incredible demand across the country, a dad, a husband, and I'm going to tell you this, he's going to be one of those guys you're going to look back to and go, yeah, I've faced some tough times, but nothing like Daniel Ritchie. Today, you're going to get to hear Daniel's story, what it was like to be born without arms, And spend the majority of your life being told that you're a mistake and insufficient and you don't fit in. Yet you find that God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. And that through your faith, you learn how to be that overcomer. It's going to be a special one. So I want you to pull up a chair. Find you something to write on. Find you something to type on. And I want you to listen in to my conversation with Daniel Ritchie well, Daniel, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you
1: hey brother the, the, the feeling's mutual man. I appreciate you just reaching out and having the opportunity to have this conversation with you with you today
0: Well, I followed you from afar and, and watching and on your website. I want to start here on your website. It said, I am passionate about getting to go into all the world with the gospel, glorifying God and everything I do to help make disciples, encourage believers with God's story of grace in my life. Hmm. That is an incredible passion to live with. Where did that passion come from? How How did you get to that place?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it 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 starts with coming coming from a place where you feel anything but grace, you know, to um, I guess for for your listeners, uh, I was born without arms. And so um, I, I spent probably the first 15 years of my life thinking that. I just wasn't as good as everybody else. You know, I'm, I'm different and different in a bad way. And, um, and so I think just that, that comparison alone just left me feeling um, less than terrible abandoned. I mean, I mean, you know, you can, you can fill in just about every negative adjective in there and then um, coming to Christ as, as a teenager, as a 15 year old and seeing not only does God love me, but he has a purpose for me that flips everything on its head, you know, and suddenly all of the things that I saw as curses, God was using as as graces. And so um, to know that, like Paul says in First Corinthians 15, it's by the grace of God that I am what I am. And so, you know, Paul's challenge was because of that grace, I worked harder than anybody else who may or may not have excuses. And so looking at that, I was like, man, I want that grace to be known in the church, out of the church, everywhere else in between, um, and that, and that really came the, became the fuel for me was seeing the the grace in my life in, in spite of the external perception of who I am and sharing that grace with people that I know need it whether you're, whether you know and trust in Jesus or whether you, you think you 're fine apart from Christ. Um, I want people to know the life-changing grace that comes through trusting and resting in him.
0: You know, when, when your parents showed up at the hospital that day, when Harry and Emily showed up at the hospital, I'm sure in their minds, life was normal and everything was going to be normal. Mm-hmm. But they were presented with quite an option that yeah. day. To tell everybody a little bit about what went on in that hospital room that day for your mom and dad.
1: Yeah. So like you said, my parents going in, they thought I was a perfectly healthy, normal baby boy. And so there was nothing on the radar that anything was wrong, literally until the the instant that I come into the world. And the doctor's holding this armless baby boy, and then I was also lifeless. I wasn't breathing or moving, and um, and so in that instant, uh, the the doctor makes the snap decision where he turns to my dad, and and he lets dad see the fact that I don't have arms, and and so he uh, he he asked my dad, listen, do you just want us to let your son go? Because I th- I think the assumption being that. You know this armless life is just a life not worth living. But I'm I'm super thankful that my dad, without hesitation, was like, "No, that's that's my boy, and you do whatever it is you can do to try to bring him back." And man, God God graciously answered uh, that that father's plea that day. And um, man, to to think where we are. 36 years uh, removed from that moment and to think what all God has done and, and in large part due to two brave parents that were willing to, to walk what was not an easy road with me in those formative years.
0: What did your parents do well? You know, here's two parents. Yeah. You're, what did they do well for you?
1: Man, I think they were, they were the ultimate team and and they knew it. You know, my, my mom is a, uh, your stereotypical Southern Belle, uh, you know, grew up in, in rural Virginia, uh, sweet as molasses, uh, she can she can bake your way to happiness. I mean, just <laughs> the just the the perfect the perfect mom. And my dad grew up in Maine, and uh, and so all of his stupid stories were walking to school uphill both ways in like forty seven feet of snow. And so, you know, you have this tough as nails dad and this sweet as sugar mom. And, uh, and dad was the type where he saw me and he was like, listen, if we, if we baby him, he's never going to learn how to do mm. anything. So dad was tough. Dad made me figure out everything, how to do it with my feet. And then mom was the one that would come around on on the backside and pick up the pieces, encourage me, try to spur me on. And so I think even in in that sort of teamwork, that was exactly what I needed to get to the point where uh, as a guy who is missing probably the primary limbs that, that everybody else uses, it really wasn't much of an issue because they were willing to challenge and encourage uh, as a team um, in in so much of just my life growing up. That's so it's, you
0: know, you think about your story, Daniel, and reading your book, which is phenomenal. I want to get into here in a second, my affliction for your glory but you think about your mom and dad what heroes they are number 1 to have given you the option to live number 2 mm-hmm. to provide such an environment where they became the ultimate team with a, with a with a tough a tough one and a soft one to grow yeah, yeah. what was it like being daniel Ritchie growing up you know, growing up in north <laughs> carolina what was it like to be you growing up
1: uh, man, it's definitely, um, it's, it's a different experience, uh, for, for sure. I think, I think for me, one of the most uncomfortable realities, um, was just, the the fishbowl life, you know, it, it's, it's not like you can, um, uh, it's not like people see somebody eat with their feet every day, right with their feet every day. And so and, and anytime I would go out in public, there would be, Um, there would be stairs, there would be, um, you know, people, you could see people clearly like looking at me, talking about me. Um, and, uh, and so that sort of fishbowl life, it was like, it was like being famous without the benefits, you know, Mm -hmm. you were, you were just kind of, you were a sideshow. And so I I think that that, and in, in, especially in those years, it created in, in my own heart, um, I think this prison of people's opinions. Um and uh and, and it was as good as oh, you're an inspiration or oh, look at that freak, look at that weirdo, look at that guy that's that's eating with his feet or opening a door with his feet. And so the the experience was almost like you always had to look over your shoulder. You never, mm. you never felt alone. Um, you never felt comfortable, accepted. It was always just kind of like growing up. I was, I was always on edge. I was always waiting for like that next judgmental stare or rude comment or um, just people to treat me poorly. And so I, I think it just led to led to a lot of self doubt, a lot of, um, a lot of depression, especially as I got into my team's,
0: what did your parents do to try to appease that? So when they would hear it or they would see it happen, what would they what would they try to do right to help yeah. you get through that?
1: Yeah, I mean they they were they were very deliberate teachers, you know. I, th- I think that whole uh, Deuteronomy six concept of just you know teaching your children, you know, in the house, on the road, just in just in every part of life. And so my parents tried to use those moments to to teach me. And, you know, in, in my own heart, there's this battle of what I'm hearing from my parents versus, um, I think me looking around at my circumstances and allowing those to define me. And so it was, it was difficult, but mom and dad were really like a deliberate drum beat just mm. in every circumstance, trying to sow um, I think so many realities, so many fundamental parts uh, of just shaping my identity, uh, they were they were that constant drumbeat. That even when I didn't feel it, even when I didn't want to listen to it, man, they uh, they kindly and deliberately uh, they they gave me the encouragement, they gave me the wisdom that I needed, even when I didn't feel like I needed it.
0: You know, you made you made a comment in the book. You said emotional wounds were my greatest burden. And that was a power. That's a powerful statement. How did you begin to heal up from those? You know, because they don't go away. I mean, they're they're stuck in there. They're lodged. How did you begin to heal from that?
1: Yeah, I I mean, that 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 healing didn't really even start until, um, you know, I I trusted Jesus as my everything in 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 my teens, and um, even then, it, it just those wounds still lingered and and, and festered you know i i mean i can clearly you know I, I come to christ at 15 and i can clearly remember being a student pastor in my 20s and thinking god this would be so much easier if if i had arms you know god this would be so much easier if when I met people, I didn't have to work through, you know, all of the, all of the window dressing Mm -hmm. of, yeah, no, I don't have arms, but I'll be okay. Um, there was still so much self-doubt and, um, but one of the things that, that I really started to know and understand is, you know, just looking at the, the, the person and the work of Christ in the life of Paul, was just so huge for me. Um, just knowing, you know, Paul says in, in Philippians four, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances that mm. I find myself in. And just, just that whole book of Philippians is built on joy. And Paul writes the book of joy in a prison cell. That's right. And, um, and I think for me to, um, to come to those point, to come to the point where those wounds became less of an issue was seeing, Christ as my treasure and not my circumstances as my treasure is what allowed, I think, those wounds to slowly heal and to be defined by um, what he says about me instead of what happens to me or what other people say about me. That, I think, is what fundamentally just allowed me to get to a place where those wounds began to heal and I started to fix, I think, my heart and my treasure, like what I truly treasured in my own life. Um, I, I started to fix that on more eternal and and life-giving things how, how does
0: somebody know what they truly treasure i mean you know how does a how does a guy who's just going getting up going to work every day know they go to church yeah but how yeah. do they know what they treasure well how does a how does a treasure make itself known in a yeah, person's man, life
1: man i i think one of the you know again to to point back Back to Paul, Ephesians 5, he's talking to the church in Ephesus, and and he starts listing out all of these things that should not be named among us. And so I think it's your treasure is made manifest to to the people in your life when they see what you love. And so if, if someone was to give a eulogy about you right now, what are the things they're going to talk about? Are they going to talk about your boat, your truck, your, uh, your career, your, um, your athletic endeavors, your 401k or, you know, your, your retirement, wh- whatever. When, when people start to say the things that summarize you, when they start to talk about the things that are named among you, that's your treasure. And so I, I, th- I think it's very telling when the people can, when the people that are most important to us in our life when they can summarize us in 10 or 20 words that's that's usually where your treasure lies and and so for for some of us that are trying to figure that out it may mean going to the men the women that are closest to us in our life and asking man what makes me me and that might be a very telling or a very sobering conversation. That it may not have. be a
0: conversation the light, they yeah. enjoy. I know, it's like, <laughs> oh, hey, hey, okay, you can stop now. You can yeah. stop now, I'm gonna go find somebody else. Yeah, no oh, doubt, no Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, you know, when you came to know Christ as a teenager, and I know those were some dark years you talk mm-hmm. about, you write about, I've heard you some, on some other podcasts talking about that. There were some key influences in your life that helped with that process of you coming to know Christ sort of tell a little mm. of the chain events that, that got you to that point of going, all right, I need a savior and, and he's Jesus. Walk me through that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I was going through a dark time, especially in my teens where I was just isolated, frustrated, hurt, Depressed, um, and and of all things, I had this kid that I, I was in a science class with, and he invites me to, of all things, a youth group dodgeball lock-in, and um, and and you would think that would be a super spiteful thing to invite an an armless man to a to a dodgeball event, um, but uh, but I get I get pummeled for probably those first like five hours, uh, just lots of dodgeballs. Beating me up, and then about um I don't know one o'clock two o'clock in the morning the the youth pastor does like a um, a devotion, and it's from John three just on God's love for us and um and I think in that moment that's that's when the Holy Spirit really started tugging on my heart and and you know in in my own heart, I'm going man god God really does love me and um and then you know the the night goes on um, this, this student pastor comes up to me and, um, and he had never met me before. And so we start just a superficial conversation. He's getting to know me, getting to know how the whole armless thing works. And I think he could sense just that heaviness and that darkness that's going on in my life. And so he asked me, man, you, you don't like your life, do you? And I'm like, hmm. you're, you're, you're right. I, I I don't. Um, And, uh, and so he starts walking me through just God's love for me, not only in how he made me like that picture of what we see in Psalm 139, God's fearfully and wonderfully making me that even while I'm still in my mother's womb, he's taking great care to, to knit me together. Um, But also he takes this Romans five picture that, you know what, God loves you so much that even when you hated him, he sends his son to the cross to die in your place. And I think in that moment when I judged for so much, just what I thought God thought about me, how Mm -hmm. God loved me in, in looking at my circumstances to define that, mean to look at the gospel in that moment and see, no, this is how he loves me in that when I was completely helpless and hateful and spiteful, man, God gives me hope through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And man, that that was the complete and total game changer from, for me from, from that moment on.
0: How did, how did your identity begin to change at that point? And I know you talk a lot about identity in Christ. Mm-hmm. How did your identity of how Daniel saw himself begin the process of changing after you met Christ?
1: Yeah, so I mean, for for me, the most important voice in my life became his. You know, Mm -hmm. when I spent when I spent a lifetime, depending on the voices of others and the opinions of others, to base my value and my worth and my hope on what Jesus says about me, what he promises to those he adopts, to those he loves. Man, that that breathed so much life into me, and that, would, that was where my identity, um, you know, when you see the picture of the house built upon the rock, uh, yeah. like Jesus is talking about, that became my foundation, that became my mm. rock. And, and, uh, and I think God in his kindness, that kept me from getting too high, too low, you know, because I, I wasn't waiting around for the next compliment or the next insult. I could just look to this, just the constant stream of promises we see from Scripture, and that gave me the place to where I could just steadily, I think, grow in Christ, grow as a man, and um, and, and man, God, God knew exactly what I needed uh, in that time and through His Word and through His promises, and that that gave me the identity uh, to to build an entire life, and and you know, even even now, a ministry on.
0: You know, you uh, you talk about the story from John nine and Blind Bartimaeus. That's a powerful story and how that story was so transformative for you. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think again, uh, being a baby Christian, studying through scripture, trying trying to just figure stuff out and you know I think in in my eyes like especially as a 15 year old um, there there's a whole lot of God why God why me mm-hmm. God why why no arms and um and I remember studying through John and um, and there in John nine you see Jesus and the disciples they're they're in their ministry they're going from town to town and as they're walking they see a guy who was born blind and the disciples they look at him and they go, hey Jesus who sinned?" this man or his parents that, that he was born blind. Cause I mean, in that, in that day, the cultural assumption was if you have a disability, it's because you did something wrong. That's right. And, and Jesus stops and Jesus goes over to this blind man. And he says, listen, I didn't make him this way because anybody sinned. I made him this way so that the works of God can be displayed in his life. And then in the next few moments, Jesus goes on to heal this man. But, but for me, it's like the words of Christ are so telling because Jesus didn't say, I'm going to give him sight so that the works of God can be displayed in his life. Jesus said, I made him blind so that the works of God can be displayed in his life. Mm -hmm. And, And in that moment for me to realize that not only did God fearfully and wonderfully make me this way and that he loves me, but God fearfully and wonderfully made me without arms to display his glory in all the world. And what I started to see was, man, this this armlessness is a gift. This armlessness gives me an opportunity to engage in conversations with people that I would never, you know, be able to, because people are just naturally curious, like, mm-hmm. hey, how do you drive a car? How do you eat? How do you do all these things? And what i had seen is God had kindly made me without arms to give me a chance to engage people in conversation and to give people the hope of the the gospel because they're asking me about it, not because I'm going up and knocking on their door, but it's just, man, it is this built in opportunity to share the gospel. Does that happen a
0: lot for you? I mean, does that uh, conversation, does it really?
1: Every every day. Like I cannot, I, yeah i can 't go to the gas station i can 't go to the grocery store without having those conversations like i'm i'm at the point now I build in margin even on like quick little trips to the grocery store because I know it 's going to happen like my My wife just needed me to pick up cucumbers and strawberries at, at the grocery store uh, I think it was on Monday and I know I'm sharing the gospel with this uh, lady who was a Jehovah's witness right there in the produce section <laughs> of our grocery store for about 20 minutes, all because she's watching me grab a thing of strawberries with my foot and set it down in the cart. And she's like, hey, can can I help you? And then you know, 20, 30 minutes later, we're talking about the work of Christ in her life and what that can mean to those who trust in him as their everything. And all because... I just happen to look a little different than everybody else. And so it really is, you see God's sovereign work and even how he's made me different than everybody else to be used for his glory. You know, and and there's really no handbook
0: to tell you (laughs) how to do all this, right? Yeah, oh, I mean, man. and so did was it just what you you just learned to navigate and you just learned to, to do it as a child this if I'm going to function I've got to do these things is that sort of part of that
1: tough dad that goes all right you got to figure it out is some of yeah, that but- where that comes from. Yeah, there was a there was a lot of critical thinking and problem solving that that just went on, especially in those those early years. Cause I mean, like you said, there was no handbook, there was no YouTube, Google, you know, uh-huh. in the in the late eighties, early nineties. And so one of the things that I had to do is I would just watch how people with hands would accomplish tasks. And I would realize, okay, my, my route to get to their end result is going to look different, but I'd at least try to replicate the end result. And so there was lots of trial and error when you, you just simply don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And, um, and, and so there, there was a lot of observe. Fail, correct, figure it all out. and so uh, i'm I'm super thankful that, like you said, I had a challenging dad, an encouraging mom that this really what helped me get get me through all of that. I,
0: that it really is amazing how God knew what exactly what you needed and he, and he sent that friend along and he sent that mom and dad along to shape you into who you are now. I read a I heard a quote. Actually, it was on another podcast, Joni Erickson Tata, who I'm sure you're familiar Mm. with. She said she she made this comment. She said, pain is a friend that can introduce you to a Jesus you would have never known. Mm. Because of what you've walked through, Daniel, how has it introduced you to a Jesus that you would have not known if you had been born with arms? What, Mm. What would you say?
1: I mean, I think it's like what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, you know, talking about trials. He says, in this, you should greatly rejoice that even though now for a little while you have to face trials, um, it's so that your faith, which is more precious than gold, even though it's refined by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's in... It's in that refining, it's in that suffering that has allowed me to, I think, trust in Christ more deeply, realizing that, man, uh, God, apart from you, I'm, I'm getting nowhere in here. It really has allowed me to not just know about the joy in Christ or not just know about the strength in Christ, but it's, I have the opportunity to taste Mm. The joy to taste the strength to taste the grace that that goes far beyond just an academic endeavor, but it's something that that you just get to richly experience. And so it's the you don't get the secondhand knowledge of the person of Christ; you get the firsthand knowledge. And man, that's that's a, a richness that you can't replace.
0: You know when when you hear somebody that bemoans their challenges and bemoans their circumstances, whatever they may be And every, you know, everybody's is real to them in that moment, whatever it is, what do you wish you could tell them? What do you wish you could just to walk up in their lives and say, understand this, what would you say?
1: Man, I I think it's that it's, it is that your circumstances do not define you, but just like we saw with Peter, they, they refine you, Mm. you know, like, like Paul's pleading for, for his thorn in the flesh to be taken out and he pleads with God three times. God says no. And then finally God's reply is, you know, my grace is Mm. sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness. And I think it's for us to realize that Our suffering does not negate the grace of God, Mm. but oftentimes it points us to it. And so don't ever think that just because your circumstances haven't gone according to your plan, that God's grace is not present. Oftentimes it's the complete opposite. The people, the people that has gone through the most suffering, like you had pointed to Johnny Erickson Tata, or like Paul, those people I think know grace in a richer way than many of us ever will. And and so I think it's to to know your hurt Mm. does not cancel out the grace and the presence and the love of God. Oftentimes it points you to a deeper understanding of it.
0: That's a powerful statement. And that, that's a statement you have to swim in for a little while. That's yeah. one of those, you hear it and you're like, yeah, that's right. But man, I don't—I remember hearing, I don't, it was Vance Havner, an old Christian pastor. He said, you know, God can't use a man greatly till he hurts a man deep, deeply. Mm. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. And, and yeah. I, I remember Ravi Zacharias on this podcast, he made a comment and he said, I don't trust a leader without a limp. You know, everybody's mm. got to have a limp mm. of some sort. You know, everybody, yours is magnified because everybody sees it,
1: Mm, you know, mm, and
0: I've heard you talk about that. There's a visual to what is perceived as a weakness. I'd love to answer this question and to hear your thoughts on this. What if you had been born with arms? What would be different about Mm. Daniel Ritchie now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think there would be an absence of that richness, like Mm -hmm. we talked about, you know, there, there would be an absence of the understanding of my identity in Christ and not my circumstances, there would be an absence of just complete and total picture of God's strength, um, of God's joy, Uh, you know, there would just there would not be, I think, this robustness Mm -hmm. of just knowing who God is and it's like that that no, like in all caps, not that no, like, well, I've read about this yeah, Jesus yeah. person, um, but, but it is like almost an inscribing on my heart. And I think that had I been born just like everybody else, I, I don't think that same sort of knowing is there.
0: That's really good. You know, and, and shortly after you came to know Christ. God called you into ministry and you began ministry. <laughs> now you travel full time. You have a phenomenal ministry. You married a beautiful girl named Heather. Right married up, man. Your Listen, listen, we can make bad choices and good choices. And it looks like you made a really good choice. I did. I what has she did. added to your life that you never dreamed God would give you?
1: Oh, man, I remember in those uh, in in those first few weeks, we were married. I mean, we lived in this tiny little apartment while she was still in college. I I was in my early years as a student pastor, and I distinctly remember sitting in our little, little living room there in that apartment. And she's at school and I'm just sitting there going, I am so stinking selfish. Like, you know, it was just that understanding. I had lived my whole life for me Mm. up until that point. And now that I am joined with this woman to display the beauty of the gospel in all the world, I'm like, I I have to care for, for this woman and lead her and love her. Man, it distinctly pointed out just how much of a selfish jerk I really was. I I, I I remember that lesson being being inscribed on my heart really early on. But then I think too, one of the things that that God now now that we've been married 14 years, um, God has just shown me the beauty of of teamwork. Because I mean, my my wife and I we really are opposites in in every way. I mean, it's like in college, I was a religion and philosophy major. She was a fine art and design major. I'm nerdy. She's cool. She's creative. I'm boring, you know, and that, that plays over into, um, you know, in, in all those years we were in student ministry or now that, that I'm working as an evangelist and a speaker, you know, she brings so much to the table in terms of just being able to, to get the word out of what God is doing in and through the ministry. Whereas, you know, I can preach. I just don't know how to, how to reach people. Yeah in this 21st century world that we live in, she's my perfect compliment in that. That's and awesome. and it's just, it plays out in every way. And so just realizing that God has given me a gift in her and to be faithful, to use that gift regularly and not just keep her stashed away yeah. um, to, to work together as a team has been just such a, such an incredible journey uh, over these past 14 years. And I, and I'm praying man so much more in, in the years to come,
0: you know, it, it, I've heard you talk a lot about your wife on other podcasts and just what you've written about her. You know, you had your mom and dad for those first years of your life to be that encourager and that dad who goes, You can do it. Is <laughs> is Heather sort of a blend of the two of them, where she's uh, a super yeah. encourager, but yet she she doesn't she don't cut you any slack?
1: Oh no, man. She she don't she don't cut me any slack. I think <laughs> one of the things you know, one of the things that that I remember really like, man, it just attracted me to her. Was you know we we worked in camp ministry. Um, you know that's that's how we met. And I remember one time, um, you know, we're sitting around the table, we're hanging out, and uh, a mutual friend. He's like, "Man, isn't it so cool that like Daniel drives a car with his feet and he does all these things?" And Heather just looks at him almost like with this disgusted look on the on her face, and she goes. Well, what else is is he supposed to do? And so it was just like there was this matter of fatness with her where it was like the armlessness wasn't like this cool little thing. It was just kind of it it was it just happened to be a part of my story. And so I think that really, man, that caught my attention. And then in in the years that followed it, especially in marriage, man, she's a great encourager, but she's also the thing I love is, you know, after I preach, you know, she'll be like, hey, I really like this, this, and this. But then she'll be like, you know what? I think you missed the boat on this, this, and this, you know, she'll, she'll give me just the honest unfiltered truth, whether it's encouraging or whether it helps sharpen me. And, and that's been something, man, that is it, that just, I think really gone a long way to not only grow me as a man, but to grow me as a, as a preacher and and, and as a shepherd.
0: That's really good. I know my wife will go, You know that story you told? That was funny, but that's not how it happened. You know really how it happened. (laughs) So I don't even tell her anymore. I don't even tell her before. I'm like, that's how I remember it. And how I remember it's what's most important.
1: That's right. That's That's right. That's all that matters.
0: matters. Yep. And you you guys have two little ones now, Teague and Elliot. What kind of of dad do you pray you are? What kind of, when when your little boys grow up one day, how do you pray they describe you as a dad?
1: Man, I I hope it's a dad that, a dad that was present, Mm -hmm. a dad that, that would teach, you know, um, that would use the, the moments in life. You know, one, one of the things I've really tried to do, you know, I I have an eight year old boy and a four year old little girl, um, eight year old boy is, I think, you know, he's, he's starting to become more aware. And, you know, last summer, I had the opportunity to go and speak at at a boy's home up in West Virginia. And I just thought, man, what an incredible opportunity just for me to bring my son along Mm. And show him the rest of the world doesn't live like you, wow. and and for him to hear some of the stories of the boys there, what they had been through, how um, how their experiences had wounded them, but then I think in the same way how God in His kindness mm-hmm. was bringing healing about. That was a huge moment in, in his life, and he still talks about that. And so I want to continue, man, to teach my kids with every opportunity that I have, not just in word, but in deed. And so, I, you know, I pray that, that my kids will always see that dad wanted me to see the best of who God is and what God is doing and, and to not withhold them from so many opportunities to see that grace.
0: You know, you know, Scripture says in the book of Acts, David served his purpose in his generation, and then he fell asleep. Mm, then he was done. Yeah, what do you yeah. think was the purpose that God created Daniel Ritchie for in this generation?
1: Oh, man. Um, gosh, I, I, I think it is to truly see that, um, man, Jesus is better. Jesus mm. is better than than hands or arms or ideal circumstances or riches of this world that, uh, <laughs> almost like that, you know, you, there's, there's an old quote from a guy named Count Zinzendorf and he says, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. And, uh, and that, that has been, um, I, I think really the lifeblood of who I am. And, and I, I just pray at the end of the day, people see, man, he loved Jesus. And he pointed people to Jesus and not just his his two floppy sleeves, because if if the only thing I do is inspire people and not give them the hope of the gospel, then I've sent them to hell with a smile on their face. And that's 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 blood on me. That's blood on, on, on my feet. And so I, I pray that it's that I was very intentional to not take the easy way out, but to preach the, the hard truth of a good gospel.
0: Holy smokes. I got off the call with Daniel that day and I was challenged, overwhelmed, and thankful. Thankful that God connected our paths and he was so kind to be able to come on because I tell you what, Daniel Ritchie epitomizes what faith can do in anyone's story. Thank you so much, Daniel for sharing your story with us. If you want to learn more about Daniel, make sure and check the show notes, all the links for his social media platforms, his books, all that are in there. So make sure and check that out. If you enjoyed this episode, man, I hope you'll share it with a friend. Leave a rating and review is always helpful, but man, when you share it, it makes all the difference in the world. Well, episode 111, we're going to be right back at it with another great leader who's become a great leader friend his name is rusty george rusty pastors real life church in california and he's just authored a new book after amen and rusty and i are going to sit down and talk about that book his journey and what god wants to do in each of our lives it's going to be a fun one so thanks again for tuning in today and i pray that you'll go be the leader that you are created to be in the space and the place that god has put you